Good morning. Wonderful to see all of you here this morning. And if you missed our Bible class uh, hour this morning, uh, you missed a good hour. Brother Nathan's doing a fantastic job of leading our class in here through uh, the Book of Lamentations. We started that this morning in our other classes. I'm sure are doing a phenomenal job as well. We we'll hope you'll uh, uh, work to be here with us next week at 9.30 for our Bible class. And so glad you're here as well. When one studies the life of Jesus, they see that he was indeed the master teacher. He was able to take moments where he was engaging with crowds and was able to teach them in ways that perhaps no other man could do. He used a lot of word pictures. He used a lot of illustrations, parables, we also call them, to show to the people what he was trying to tell them. And quite often they would say, Lord, we don't understand what you're trying to tell us. So he would go further, perhaps use another illustration. But here are a few examples of such word pictures. Luke 8, 4 through 15, we see where Jesus saw a man sowing seeds and told those around him that there are different soils... And this represented different types of hearts. And it depended on where the seed went. It illustrated how those different hearts received the seed or received the Word of God. On another occasion, Jesus stated that the joy that is in heaven at the repentance of just one sinner is like unto the joy one has when a lost coin is found. Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. And later on, he stated that God's love for man is that, like that of a father whose son had left home but then returned. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. It is normally accepted that one of the best ways to communicate with another is to use these types of word pictures. A lot of times teachers try to do that when we extend the invitation on Sunday night. On Wednesday night, I'll often have some type of word picture. might even bring something up in here to actually show you to help illustrate that further. Let's turn to John chapter 10, please. John chapter 10, we read of the parable of the good shepherd. And let's read that this morning. This is another word picture or a parable. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. So Jesus is going to have some illustrations here where he's talking about a door, talking about a shepherd, talking about thieves and robbers. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, he, because they do not know the voice of the stranger. Now, you know, this is a shepherding illustration. We raise cattle around here. If you've ever been to Kentucky Down Under, up north of us, they have a, a facility there. It's Australian-themed, great place to go to have some learning done. And well, within this facility, they, they do a shepherding demonstration. And the sheep will, will come to when they call, and they use a border collie to herd them around. It's a beautiful illustration. That's what Jesus is trying to show us here. Trying to show us that we are His sheep, and we know His voice, and we follow Him. Verse 6, 
This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which He had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So He gives them this illustration. They didn't understand it, so He takes it a step further, tries to break it down for them. Jesus said to them, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. See, that's what's happening here with the sheep. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. The sheep know their master's voice. We as Christians should know our Lord's voice, should know what He teaches. And when we hear it, we recognize it. When we hear something different that's not from God, we should recognize that as well. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So what is Jesus trying to get at here? What is Jesus trying to tell us? We're going to look at three things, three main points that Jesus is trying to illustrate to the people that He's talking to here and that we need to take away from this morning. Number one, Jesus is saying that He is the one true shepherd. This is easy to see. John chapter 10 and verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters through Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the the guarding shepherd. And here Jesus had been talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, you see, they perceived themselves to be the guardians of the people. They perceived themselves to be shepherds. Well, here Jesus comes along trying to teach others that He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies that the people have ever learned of from the Old Testament. He's trying to show them, I am that shepherd. I have been sent by God. And of course, the Pharisees had a difficult time with that. Many of them did not want to listen to Him. They did not want to trust Him. They were very suspicious of what Jesus was trying to do. So you see, Jesus felt pushback in His day. And He feels pushback today as well. As people try to convey the Word of God, as I try to convey it to you this morning, I hope there's not, but there might be pushback from you. I don't believe that, Dale. Well, I hope you'll look with me this morning as we search the Scriptures, as we look at it and see that Jesus is the one true shepherd. Jesus is the only way to salvation. The Pharisees had a problem with that. Many, many people have a problem with following the Word of God today as well. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man that was born blind. And using that... As a launching point, he teaches about spiritual blindness. Let's look at verse 39 of John chapter 9. You should be right there. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. When you are spiritually blind, you see, you seek the light. That's what this blind man did. That's what this blind man did. He wanted Jesus to come heal him. He needed that light. He needed that healing factor that Jesus had, that miraculous nature, that miraculous gift from the Son of God. He needed that. This blind man needed it. We're all blind until we see the light. 
If a man thinks he can already see, what need does he have of the light? The Pharisees thought that. And Jesus is trying to illustrate this to them. You know, you think you see, but you really don't. Verse 40, the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus was saying, you think you see, Pharisees, but you really can't. You think you see today, Christian, but you really can't unless you're following the Word of God. So Jesus has this this vision, this vision illustration. Well then, in the text of John 10, Jesus answers their question with a shepherding illustration. He's probably going kind of frustrated with them. I tried to use the blind illustration. Best illustration I've had this week. I even had a blind man right there with me. I just healed him. They still didn't get it. Well, Jesus goes on into chapter 10. I think I'll help them see this a little better with a shepherding illustration. And in this chapter that we've read, verses 1 through 10 of John chapter 10, he implies that the Pharisees, the religious authorities of the day, that they are thieves and robbers. And makes it clear that that he was the sole means by which man could have a relationship with God. They didn't like it. They didn't like hearing the truth, so they denied it. There the truth was standing right in front of them. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. Here the truth is standing right in front of you today that you need to obey the gospel, and you haven't. What will you do with that? Will you push that away as well? Later on in the passage, Jesus clearly shows there is no other way to God but through Him. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pharisees had a different plan. People today sometimes have different plans that don't always involve the teachings of our Lord and Savior. Even later on, Peter showed that beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was through and only through Jesus that man could be saved. The people were angry in Acts chapter 4 that Peter and John were healing and doing good. You people speaking about Jesus, you you apostles, going around healing people. What do you think you're doing? People didn't want to have anything to do with it. Many people did, thankfully. But these men were arrested, Peter and John, because they followed the teachings of Jesus and were proclaiming what would someday be recorded in Scripture. For us to read from this pulpit within our homes. For us to learn from. For us to carry on. For us to pass on to our children. It says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Needless to say, what Jesus accused them of did not sit well with them. We're blind? We're thieves? We're robbers? Look at my frontlets. Look at my phylacteries. Look at how I'm dressed. Lord, I I give to the poor all the time. How do you think I am spiritually blind? How do you think, Lord, that I am a thief and I am a robber? They didn't want to hear the truth. They can't handle it. To use a movie reference this morning. They can't handle that truth. John chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 says this, A division occurred. Again, among the Jews because of these words. So Jesus is coming, he's teaching the truth. Some Jews like it. The authority figures of the day, others I'm sure that followed them. Others liked it. This caused the division. Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? 
This was the division. Jesus is preaching the truth. He's using some great illustrations, trying to tell other people that He is the good shepherd. You should follow Him. And people have a problem with that. People still today have a problem with it as well. Today, to suggest there is but one way to salvation might be even considered intolerant. We are living in a time of tolerance, which to many people basically means approval of anything and everything as means of salvation, even within the religious world, unfortunately. Jesus came and caused division among the Jews. There's still division today. As we look at Scripture, try to teach what the truth is, some people have their own way of looking at it, and it creates division, it creates conflict among people. Jesus came preaching the, Holy, preaching the Word. The Holy Spirit led the apostles and other writers of Scripture to write what they wrote. And we are to continue this same teaching today. We are told we are being closed-minded. If you teach one thing and one thing only, Dale, you're being too closed-minded about this. But have you ever thought, have you ever thought that the truth is always closed-minded? This crayon is light blue. It says so right on the label. If you were to pick that color up, you might color a sky with it. You might color a, a smurf with it because it's light blue. Those things are light blue. What if someone wanted to believe that it was dark red? What would you say? Would you tell them, hey, you're colorblind, and they might be. Sometimes people do need help seeing the truth because sometimes they're clouded over with how they were raised, what they've always been taught, what their grandparents followed. But this crayon's light blue. Some people might believe it to be dark red. What would you say to them? They have the right to believe it is dark red, they won't go to jail. That's their civil right to believe that. But this does not mean that they are correct. There's Bible preaching, and there's preaching what the people want to hear. Both have their audience, but only one may be the truth. And this may sound arrogant, but doesn't every person with a Bible in their hand this morning believe they are preaching the truth? They do. But we as Christians who follow the Good Shepherd must be discerning. Just because somebody gets up here with this right here and says Jesus 12 times does not mean that they're necessarily preaching the truth. We must be discerning. We must learn what the Word of God says. We must see that it says light blue. And if somebody calls it dark red, they're incorrect. And does what someone is saying when they stand in this pulpit, does it stand up to Scripture? That's the question we must ask. Because we follow the Good Shepherd. We want to follow His teachings. Not someone else. If someone else gets up here or any pulpit in America and says something against what Scripture teaches, we must look at that and say that is a false teaching. That is a false statement. And we must do that in one way or another because we are not talking about crayons. We're talking about the lives, the souls of mankind. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, I know who you are, but if you're not following his word, then you're not doing his will. Lots of people say, yes, I follow Jesus, yes, I'm obedient to him, but a lot of them aren't doing that second part. And what's it say about those people? It says, the gospel says, those people will not enter heaven. So the truth itself is always closed-minded. As we think about the shepherd who came teaching the gospel, teaching his good news, now we must continue on with that teaching today, and so we must be warned. Christians, we need to be mindful of thieves and robbers in the Christian world today. Jesus warned against them. As our young people go off to college, start living new lives, there might be someone in a congregation somewhere teaching something that's not truthful, that's not real from the Word of God. We must equip them to be prepared for that. Deception is running rampant within the world and even within the body of Christ. Let's look at 2 Timothy, please, chapter 4. They were warning about it in the first century. 2 Timothy, chapter 4. They were warning about it in the first century, trying to get people to understand. You know, the day of Pentecost just happened. People became Christians. Now, there's going to be some false teaching that's going on. Paul's warning the young preacher Timothy about this. And we must be mindful of it as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Paul, Timothy is a young preacher. Paul is writing to him. Timothy's working with various congregations, and Paul tells him, Timothy, there's going to be a time when the people won't listen to the truth. There's going to be a time when that happens. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. In other words, Timothy, if they don't like what you're teaching, they're going to find somebody that will teach them what they do like. They want their ears tickled. They want to hear what they want to hear. Forget about truth. They're not worried about that. That crayon's dark red. That crayon's black. That crayon's chartreuse. Don't ask me how I can pick that out of a color, but I can. That color's all, that crayon's all different kinds of colors, and everybody should be okay with it. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is warning Christians. There's going to be people that teach wrong things and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. They'll leave the truth, and they'll start believing a lie. They'll leave what Jesus inspired us, what the Holy Spirit inspired us, what Jesus taught us. They'll leave that, and they'll start teaching what they want to hear. Brethren, that should scare us. Scare us that it happens at all. Scare us that, you know, it could happen anywhere. Scare us that people are lost because of this very thing. Also, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 tells us a second way, this very same thing. So we're leaving from Paul and going to Peter. I like reading different passages like this. Two different men inspired by the Holy Spirit saying the same thing. Fantastic. Really drives that point home. Really shows us the importance of it. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. 
people calling themselves Christians are going to come in and they're going to introduce some teachings that are not right. Destructive heresies. Causing people to leave the faith. Even denying the Master who bought them. Even denying Jesus who bought them. Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. The way of the truth will be made evil. Paul and Timothy are warning against false teachers. We must be able to discern among them. We must be able to pick out a false teaching and say, you know what, Scripture really doesn't teach that. And hopefully spring into a good Bible discussion, a constructive Bible discussion. A lot of people I have spoken to will oftentimes say, you know what, I've never heard of that. That should tell you something. That should tell you something. You've not heard it. It's there. You know, keep reading it. Maybe I'm wrong. But I know the Bible's right. So I want to read it and I want to learn from it. And I want the same thing for you as well because the shepherd is warning us of false teaching. Lies in the religious world. And one of the biggest lies in the religious world today is that denominationalism is approved by God. And this itself is a lie. The church that we read of in Acts chapter 2 is not a denomination. I know why some think the church of Christ is. They use it as a synonym for church. But the Bible never does this. When someone asks you, what denomination are you? What they are saying is, what branch of the Christian church are you a part of? Sometimes they use it as a synonym. That's misguided. That doesn't follow with Scripture. That doesn't follow with truth. It's misguided. Sometimes people use it as a synonym for the church, for churches in general. What they mean is, what branch of the Christian church are you? Well, no man should want to be a branch of the church. He should want to be a part of the church. Matthew 16, 18 says, Jesus said, I will build my church. Not churches, not plural. But rather, He said to Peter, Upon what you have said, I am going to build my church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I understand why there are different denominations. We humans have a difficult time with unity. Also, given our civil liberties, we have the freedom of worship in our country, which is definitely a good thing. But does God approve of this division? Let's see what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Even Paul had difficulties with denominationalism early on. And here is where the Bible actually speaks out against that sort of division among Christians. So the question is, does God approve of there being different branches, different divisions as we see today? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Paul, first letter, first page, is saying, 
I know about some quarrels among you. Chloe must have came to him and said, Brother Paul, there's some, there's some tough things happening at some congregations at the Corinth church. I want you to know about it. He's heard about it from Chloe. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. In other words, when Paul and the other disciples, the other Christians were going around preaching, they were baptizing people, you see. And oddly enough, baptizing people can get kind of weird sometimes. I spent a month when I was 18 in Eastern Europe with a missionary there in the the city of Donetsk and lived as they lived, lived with this missionary. And one of the things they always wanted to be careful of was they didn't want the Americans baptizing the Ukrainians. And one of the reasons is because of this passage. Americans are looked at, they were in the summer of 1995 anyway, okay? Americans were looked at a certain way, I don't know how it is now, but they were looked at a certain way then. They had just come out of communism, hadn't been out of that for very long. So, wow, you're an American. We get to be like you now. Many of them liked that, some didn't. Many did. Well, it wasn't up to us to baptize them. We wanted the local preachers to do that because some people would say, you know what, I had an American baptize me. He talked so funny. That's what they would say. So us Americans, unless there was no other way, us Americans would not baptize them. And it's because of this particular issue. Imagine you're in the first century church and you're looking up and there's Paul. He used to be Saul. He changed so much. Look what Jesus has done for this man. I want some of what he has. Brother Paul, Mr. Paul at that time, would you, would you baptize me? Would you make me your brother? I'm sure Paul was like, sure, you know, he's not going to back off from that. But Paul knew that danger. They knew how well-known he was. And so he didn't want to create divisions among the people. That's what people were doing. Let's look back at verse 12. Each one of you is saying, I am of Paul. I have Apollos. I have Cephas. And I have Christ. So these different divisions were actually starting at that time because they were baptized by these different men. Has Christ been divided, he says? Has Christ been divided amongst us? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, you weren't. It's already creating divisions. Jesus hadn't been ascended into heaven very long. There's already divisions happening. We humans sometimes really mess those things up. I thank God, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, that I baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Because otherwise they might say, well, I'm better than you, Paul baptized me, and that's not the case. You know, the person who does the, bapti- the baptism is, is, is honorable, it's a very special thing to be sure, and quite often the person who does the baptizing these days is because of a special relationship. You know, lots of times the fathers will baptize the children, there's a special relationship, or perhaps the person who taught them. Well, here it was creating divisions. And Paul says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you except for two people. Perhaps the people that started that particular congregation. So that no one would say, you were baptized in my name. Paul didn't like division. The Holy Spirit didn't like it who told him to write this, who inspired him to write it. Think of it this way. 
In Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, people had just heard the first gospel sermon, and they were real excited. 3,000 souls were added to the church that day through baptism. Peter told them, they asked, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. There was 3,000 souls baptized that day. All right, so this is the water. Y'all in the water, okay? Y'all in line to get baptized. And y'all start coming up towards me, okay? Maybe I'm, I'm just a person. Maybe I've already been baptized. I'm out of the water. Let's say you're coming up, and I come up to you, and I say, greetings. What denomination are you? They wouldn't know what you were talking about. They wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about. Because divisions had not happened. Divisions, you see, had not occurred. He'd say, well, I'm a Christian. That's what I am. That's what you should want to be as well. I'm a Christian. I'm a part of the Lord's church. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Jesus purchased it with His blood, so it's His church. I'm a part of the church of God. Mentioned this way five times in the book of 1 Corinthians alone. I'm a member of the church of Christ, as it's called in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16. And lastly, I'm a Christian. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. All those who call themselves Christians should want to be a part of the church that Christ died for and not embrace division, something that Christ did not die for. So we must be wary of this sort of teaching. Our enemies should be those who teach error. And we should love those enemies, of course. And we love them so much that we want them to go to heaven. And those who are obedient will do just that. Matthew 7, verse 21, remember? Doing the will of the Father. Just because you say, Lord, just because you confess it, do nothing else doesn't mean that you've got a one-way ticket to heaven. So we must be careful of those who teach and whether or not they are teaching error or teaching truth. When something doesn't sound right, it probably isn't. Check what I'm saying. If you're watching online, if you're seeing this video later on, check what I'm saying. And if you doubt it's truth, let's study about that. May we never think that we have the perfect answer, but rather the shepherd that we follow does. And may we ever follow his words, and not our own. Not anything created or made by man. We must exercise caution whenever we hear people teach, and when a teacher teaches that which contradicts the word of God, we need to take a lesson from the sheep. John chapter 10 and verse 5 says, A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of the stranger. The words I am saying are not my own, but come from the Word of God. Every person that speaks in the name of Christ, who's supposed to be teaching the Gospel, should be teaching what He teaches as well. And if that is not the case, flee from that person. Second, we must recognize the shepherd's voice. The sheep, they know it. Daisy, I've been without Daisy, my dog, for a week. Oh, well, I miss her. We'll see her when I get home. She knows my voice. I think she knows my truck when I'm pulling in at night. She's so happy to see me, so happy to, to hear my voice. We should be happy as well to hear the shepherd's voice. John chapter 10 and verse 4, if you'd like to read there. John 10 verse 4 says, When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Do you know the voice of the shepherd? John chapter 10 and verse 14 
says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is trying to lay it out for them as well as he can. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We must be careful of those who say they're speaking for the shepherd. When it doesn't line up, we must be careful of that. And lastly, we must trust the Lord as the true shepherd. It is not enough to just know who the shepherd is. You must enter as well. You must enter that gate. John 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. As I said earlier, we're not talking about crayons. We're talking about the souls of mankind. We're talking about your soul. And when you know the voice of Jesus and follow His teachings, He says in verse 28, I will give eternal life to them. That's what we're working for. We're working for that eternal life that we might see Jesus in heaven some sweet day and have a better life on this earth, not a completely easy life, not free of trouble, because trouble finds us all, but a life that enriches our marriages, enriches our lives, whatever state of life you might find yourself in. Following Jesus has a better life here and a life in eternity. Truly, Jesus is the Good Shepherd, and we easily see that it is imperative to follow Him regardless of what other people might say. Oh, don't pay attention to that verse. Let me explain that away from you. Listen, I believe every word that's in this book. Sometimes I think people gloss over pages and they don't want to believe it, but I want you to believe it as well. And you know you need to follow Him this morning, but will you is the question. Will you become a Christian? Will you give your life to Jesus? I pray that you will this morning. Come forward, let us baptize you. Be added to the body of Christ as they were in Acts chapter 2. Or if you faltered spiritually and you are a Christian and need prayers of encouragement or forgiveness, let us help you with that as well. Please come as we stand and sing.